is Bloomberg Surveillance. We're on a course now where the Fed is almost going to ensure a return to the zero lower bound in the next downturn. I personally don't really see the argument for raising rates. I'm much closer to Larry Summers' camp than I am to the so-called hard money camp. Many of our allies from Japan to Korea to those in Europe, they essentially are betting their futures that the United States is there for them. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good Tuesday morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, a four-day work week. Bloomberg Surveillance, we welcome all of you worldwide. Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130 in New York, 99.1 FM in Washington, and, of course, in the early morning of San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, good morning. On Sirius and XM worldwide, or rather, I should say nationwide and across Canada, we say good morning uh, to all of you. Fred Zakaria will join us here. You know him from CNN, of course, uh, Dr. Zakaria, on our international relations and our education system in support of, in defense of a liberal education. A wonderful book. We'll talk about that here uh, in a moment. Uh, futures churn, a very quiet start to the four-day work week, but a lot of news coming out. Jobs Day on Friday. We'll go beneath the headline data at 8.30 a.m. Friday morning. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. Have you considered all of your investment alternatives, non-traditional asset classes, and strategies may help you achieve your goals? Find out more at Invesco.com slash alternatives. Invesco, I-N-V-E-S-C-O, Invesco.com slash alternatives. His date calendar was full. When in defense of a liberal education came out, we are thrilled to get him here in time for beach reading. Fareed Zakaria, his book, The Post-American World, Simply Changed International Relations Dialogue. Very different, not like Nye and QA, but nevertheless, uh, really changed our dialogue of where America's heading. And he's written 169 pages in defense of a liberal education. It is a wonderful book. To read this summer or throw at the nearest mouthy offspring certain about what they want to do in education. Freed, wonderful to have you here. What was the biggest surprise in writing in defense of a liberal education? The biggest surprise was uh, going around talking to CEOs, co- talking to corporate uh, uh, titans, and discovering how many of them had a liberal arts background and how many of them uh, attributed their success to that kind of training. So, for example, the uh, the CEO of my company, uh, Time Warner, uh, is Jeff Bukas, who is a philosophy major uh, and thinks that it was a very important part of helping him to think critically about anything and everything. And that that skill proved to be very, very important. Um, you, you know, I talked to Jeff Bezos, and he points out how at Amazon, uh, with his senior management, he has study hall mm-hmm. where he makes his senior management. Love it all sit down and read a six- to eight-page memo that has been written not like a business memo, not like a PowerPoint, but like an English essay, because he thinks that that way you can't hide logical gaps, that people have to present their ideas in a coherent, ordered form. So there's so many of those kinds of examples. You mentioned Norman Augustine, who, of course, was the force at Lockheed Martin for years. He says one cannot live by equations alone. Are we winning this battle? Are we becoming a more liberal education America? 
Well, look, at one level, I, I, I look at America as an immigrant, and, you know, you can't wreck it, no matter how much people try. We have fads, and the fad now is to say everyone should become a computer scientist. Computer science is fantastic. I'm glad there are more people doing it. But the great thing is, <clears throat> if you go to a good university, even if you do computer science as a major, you're going to take English classes. You're going to take history classes. You can't get out of there without that broader exposure. Mm -hmm. So I would like those people to take even more of it because what they would realize is in the world we're moving into, Tom, even coding is becoming something computers can do. In other right. words, artificial intelligence can quite easily simulate basic code. The challenge is to add that X factor to be creative. Even as a computer scientist, you've got to f ask yourself, right. what is the value and, and where does that come from? And that generally will come from some outside reading, some outside thinking, some observation, some field study you've done. In defense of a liberal education, I was going to cause, call it the post-American rigor. So many of the interviews <laughs> I've done, whether conservative or liberal, and your book is wonderfully apolitical, I might point out. But the, 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 the foundational idea that we've lost the rigor that you knew at Bombay and Yale, I knew at Colorado, RIT, and with the CFA, we've lost the rigor for a huge body of Americans. How do we drag people that want to be dragged into rigor if the rigor's not there to begin with? Yeah, that, I think, is one of the crucial things that we don't uh, talk about, which is that um, the humanities have been abandoned uh, partly because humanities professors have started over the last 30 years this massive amount of grade inflation. Um, and what that means is that you go to a university and if you go to uh, take an English course or a history course, it's an easy A minus. And if you go and take a science course, those are harder, more rigorous, more demanding courses. Right. And employers know it. So employers, when they see somebody with, the, with uh, you know, science courses on his tra transcript, they say, this kid has taken hard courses. Now, that, ne that, w that, not, that wasn't always the case. In the 1950s, 60s, 70s, getting an A in English was as hard as getting an right. A in physics. But what has happened for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, and the humanities have become softer, more easy, to the point where now, at many large universities, they, they encourage the sports teams to take humanities courses to raise their GPA so that they can get yeah. the minimal uh, GPA required to play sports. That, should, you know, that is a self-inflicted wound that humanities has to snap right. out of and realize you've got to be rigorous. It's all right to be creative and, and, you know, and kind of soft, but you've got to be rigorous. If you're just joining us in this time of commencement speeches, Fareed Zakaria in defense of a liberal education, I can't say enough about the brevity of it and yet the pointed uh, assertion and, and research that you would expect from Dr. Uh, Zakaria. I look at this and I look at the commencement speech of disease. Richard Haas was just on. He gave a speech up at Durham at University of uh, New Hampshire. Hampshire, and I was kidding him, you tell me you didn't use the word passion. And the problem is, you and I know, passion's got nothing to do with it, and yet that's what every commencement speech lead with. How do we get rid of passion within our dialogue? Well, uh, the way I, you know, my 17-year-old says to me, I'm more than willing to, f to follow my passion, but I have no idea what it is, <laughs> and how am I supposed to find it, and why is it I don't, uh, you know, I don't have it already? And, and that's the real challenge, which is to understand that life is about 
you know, you slowly develop interests, and you and, and as you do them more, and as you get better at them, they turn into passions. It's not like you're struck by lightning one day, and somebody said, "Tom Keen, you I, are going to be great at, at as, as your role as a public intellectual." Then I you grew into it. I can remember the air in the room, Farida, Colorado, in a frat house meeting with our advisor. For full disclosure, folks, I had a Coors Three Two beer in my hand, and I. I We'll always remember when the advisor said, if you don't have three majors in college, you didn't go to college, which is completely opposite of what everything I, I knew. I'm pleased to say I did that. I succeeded. Where, where do we get the risk back to explore at the undergraduate level? I noticed something uh, very interesting. The resumes that I have begotten over the last 25 years, the GPAs have gone higher and higher. Yeah. And I thought to myself, a three six. Oh. I thought to myself initially, I'm getting brighter and brighter kids. It must, you know. And then I realized, no, that's not what's happening. I am getting kids who are increasingly so risk averse that they never take a course in which they might get a B. So, you know, you, and then I quiz them and I discover that that's exactly what's happened. They're not taking the course uh, in, you know, whatever it medieval is. History. Medieval history. Medieval yeah, history. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Logic of philosophy. And, and that's a metaphor for, I think, what's happened to the millennial generation. And we see this in the declining, you know this, mm. the startup activity is down. And it's down big time when you look at it generationally. Right. Younger people are lovely people. They're, you know, decent mm-hmm. people, hardworking people but they are somewhat risk-averse. They talk about disruption, and then they want to go and work at Goldman Sachs. We've got you, know, and, and if they don't have the dynamic skill in their brain, they can't do that. Mr. Uh, Blankfein would say, no, no, no. Let's uh, m- migrate the discussion of our liberal education to our liberal international relations, and I don't mean that politically. I mean that within a generous uh, sense. From the post-American world, are you surprised where we were X years on? Um, From I when think you that, wrote that book? Right. So when I wrote that book, I think that at, at some level the trends have actually accelerated more than I, than I described. So if you look at emerging markets, 25 years ago they were about, I think, 10% of global mm-hmm. GDP. They are currently 44% of global GDP. So the, the rise of the rest that I described is very much a pace. And you can see it in countries like Turkey, um, India, Brazil, where they're really kind of finding their own mm-hmm. place in the world. Um, the United States, as I predicted in the book, would do very well in this world, even though it would not completely dominate right. it. We have done really well. The, the, the surprise for me, um, and it's something I've begun to think about, uh, Tom, is in all this, in, the, in this world of technology and globalization, what is the most powerful force afoot in the world today? It is nationalism. If you look at Mr. Putin, if you look at President, uh, President uh, Xi Jinping in China, mm-hmm. if you look at Mr. Modi in India, and if you look at Donald Trump in the United States, what you see everywhere is uh, the people who are who have political energy behind them are able to galvanize the forces of nationalism. Let's come back. Fried Zakari with us in defense of a liberal education. And yes, we will speak on American politics. Futures flat from New York. This is Bloomberg surveillance. Let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines, Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The battle to retake Fallujah is in full gear. Officials say Iraqi forces repelled a four-hour attack by the Islamic State group in the southern part of the city. Two officers with the special forces say Islamic State militants used tunnels, deployed snipers, and sent six explosive-laden cars to hit the troops, but they were destroyed before reaching their targets. More flooding will take place in some rural southeast Texas counties. 
where the Brazos River will likely hit a record crest of 53.5 feet. Forecasters with the National Weather Service predict the river's crest by midday will top a record 1994 flood. There's word North Korea has failed in another missile launch this morning. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Thank you, uh, Michael. We've got some key economic data coming out this morning. 8.30 Wall Street time, we get income and spending for May, which includes the PCE price index. That's the Fed's inflation monitor. Ahead of that, futures little changed. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. Outstanding offers are in full bloom at your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers. Take advantage of limited-time lease and finance programs on select models this spring season. Visit MBUSA.com for details today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Pershing's Inside 2016, the must-attend for advisors less than one week away, June 7th through the 9th. If you haven't registered, you still can. Visit Inside2016.com. That's I-N-S-I-T-E-2016.com. Great Plains Energy agreeing to buy WeStar Energy, the biggest utility in Kansas, for $8.6 billion. And U.S. stock index futures, little changed. S&P E-mini futures up a point. Dow E-mini futures higher up 19 and Nasdaq E-mini futures up 5. The DAX in Germany is down 4 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.86 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 4 tenths percent or 18 cents to 49.51 a barrel. COMEX gold down 2 tenths percent or $2.50 to 12.14.20 an ounce. The euro $1.1162. The yen at 1.11 even. And that's the Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate that this morning. Good morning, everyone. Four-day work the best part of a three-day weekend is on one side of it, it's a four-day work week, which is a good and beautiful uh, thing. Michael McKee and Tom King. Michael, uh, with Fareed Zakari in support of and defense of a liberal education, I think, Mike, we need a liberal discussion on politics right now. <laughs> I want to go to the, to the discourse that we're seeing. Um, you, you've talked about this a lot. There was a fascinating piece in The Atlantic over the weekend uh, where uh, one of their writers got into an email exchange with a young Trump supporter out in California. And the point that the Trump supporter kept coming back to is with the way Trump talks makes it okay for me to talk in a non-PC manner. I can insult people. I can say things about race and preferences and things like that that I couldn't say before. Is this where we're going? Is this a one-off? Is Are we going to... Have we gone too far PC, or do we need a little more uh, of a rough edge? Uh, it, 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 the whole thing fascinates me. Well, first I can corroborate that that uh, you know that uh, issue in the sense that so I, I write in a variety of platforms. I get comments. I have um, a Twitter feed. People send me tweets, and I would say ever since the Trump phenomenon. Um, the number of really nasty, bigoted, racist tweets that I've gotten has gone from – I usually had a steady state of about 5%. It's up to about 15%, maybe even 20%. Uh, and almost all of it seems to be Trump-related. I say seems to be because you can't be sure much of – many of these are pseudonymous or anonymous. But there does seem to be that. Now – some of that perhaps was always there, and Trump has, in a sense, legitimized uh, that kind of discourse, as this young Trump, Trump supporter seems to be saying. 
And, you know, it is what it is. There is a, you know, you realize when you get, get onto Twitter, there is a lot of venom in the world and there is a lot of uh, envy and, uh, and particularly when people have the ability to shield their identity. But what worries me about the discourse is, okay, there's a certain amount of insult and abuse. But what is truly troubling in a democracy is that Trump has been able to repeatedly, um, and there's really no other word for this, to lie, to say, you know, to, to insinuate that President Obama was not, is not a citizen, to insinuate that Ted Cruz's father was involved in the killing of JFK, to insinuate that, uh, that Ben Carson is a child molester, uh, in many cases to outright say these things. Never has he corrected himself. Never, never has he had to re- retract what he said. And if that becomes the new discourse of politics, where you just hurl charges that we know that are being hurled, despite the fact that everybody involved knows they're untrue, just to push emotional buttons, that's a very dark place to go, I think. Uh, yet we have at the same time been a lot of articles, a lot of people talking lately about how uh, – intellectuals on college campuses have pushed out the conservative viewpoint and uh, colleges have become extraordinarily liberal to the point where they don't even want conservative speakers. Uh, is there an, is the backlash somewhat justified? Well, there's no question that uh, campuses have become liberal havens and they have become somewhat intolerant. I, I often think that the greatest diversity that a college campus needs is more conservatives, not more, you know, blacks or Hispanics or Native Americans or Muslims or whatever it is. Um, that's the real short shortage, and you you can you can see it uh, on a, any college campus you go to. I don't. Th- I I do think that is a in a sense it does feed into the culture of this feeling of aggrievement that uh, that some people have that they you know that they feel like they want to. Uh, speak in, a, in in blunt ways about things they feel, though a lot of times what right. what they want to say is quite quite distasteful. It's you know it's not often not true, but I do think that's a separate issue mm-hmm. from the from this the, this question of willfully and knowingly lying in a right. political campaign to push a certain emotional button. Fareed, you write for the Washington Post. Robert Kagan had that important essay, agree or disagree, in the Post the other day on fascism. Um, I'm reading Michael Burley from England, Eric Passmore from England, on the development of fascism, and by no means can you associate that with Mr. Trump. At the same time, the Kagan essay made very clear there are hints and whispers in elements of some form of narrowness in the dis- in the discourse now. Do we have a risk of moving towards a somewhat fascist America? I think that the, the the American system is very strong. You know, there's so many checks and balances. Uh, I think it's difficult for it to be taken over. But do I believe that there are some people who have uh, th- that kind of personality? Uh, absolutely. And it's and it's you know what was the message of of fascism? Uh, it was your life sucks and it's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. Um, and it, it, you know. W- wouldn't it be fair to say that the fundamental message that we're hearing today is to a whole bunch of vulnerable Americans, uh, your life sucks and it's all the fault of Mexicans, Muslims and Chinese well, people and I will beat them up and you will be happy again. <laughs> well, the thing, uh, one other thing that worries me, I've only got 30 seconds left, but let me get your reaction to this, that both Trump and Bernie Sanders are attacking the legitimacy of the system, not just their opponents. And that is a concern to me if people start to buy into that. Well, and and both of them are 
taking advantage of this sense that people have that they've been dealt a, a, an unfair hand and saying, you're right, the whole system is rigged. Um, the difference, I do think, is that Bernie Sanders has some very specific, in my opinion, unworkable proposals to fix it, um, whereas Trump says, trust me, I'm, I'm the leader and I will somehow magically solve it all. There's a red button. Yeah. Fareed Zakaria, thank you so much. In defense of a liberal education, can't say enough of it. It's a great book to throw at your teenagers. Just, just, <laughs> you know, if, if you don't read in defense of a liberal education, you're going to physics camp. Now straighten up. There you go. Fareed Zakaria, thank you so much. We continue. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at nria.net.